we're in an era of time, as things get more difficult and serious worldwide, you'll see also a manifestation of the Holy Spirit. And there's a manifestation of joy and peace that is utterly astounding if you just learn how to get in His presence and get it on you. And it's available. It's going to get stronger. Y'all excited about that? So God gave me something different today. I think I'm done unless he speaks to me the second time. I think it's okay. Uh, I tried to get this series done, but for the life of me, it ain't going the way I planned. We're going into a different time, a different age. This is actually part six, but it's not what I'd planned for part six. I've got part six about three times in, in my in my archive of notes, and here's the one I wrote out yesterday, you know, tired to the bone, but here we are. Um, I, I want to talk to you about uh, the future and your prayer life. If we're going to have a solid foundation going into the time just prior to Jesus coming back, you need to bone up your prayer life. How many hear me? You need to stir it up. Stir up the gift of God that's in you. I want to talk to you about doing that. Let me tell you what happened. I, was, uh, <clears throat> I sat down uh, yesterday after I got home about 2 o'clock and unpacked and all that, and... Um, and sat down in a chair in my bedroom and took out my iPad. And the moment I did, I heard the Lord say, share with them what you shared with the men, a portion, one little small thing that I shared with the men, a nuance about prayer. We had a meeting about prayer on Saturday morning, and he said, share that with the whole church. So here we go. I need to talk about this. Uh, last Sunday, we've been talking about uh, a foundation of the word. If you're going to be effective in the future uh, in an unstable world, the only thing that brings stability is the word of God. The word is a lamp unto our feet. It's a light unto our path. We hide his words in our heart so, so, so we don't mess up, right? So we've been talking about that in great detail. Heaven and earth, Jesus said, will pass away. My words will not pass away. Forever, O Lord, your word is settled, established, fixed. Uh, in heaven, Psalm 119.89. So you base your life on the word, you're going to make it. I mean, I don't care what's coming around, what scrap you may find yourself in. You know, you can keep one nostril above, above the water, you're going to make it. And I found that to be true in my life, that if you'll stick the word in your life, the word will stick with you in the hard place. How many hear me? So last week we talked about the fact that uh, our nation has left the foundation of the word and uh, upon which it was built that really made us great and the word's no longer the foundation as a whole in our culture for relationships, morals, business, family, government. It's just been put to the side, not in us as believers, but I'm talking about as a culture. And that's why it's all the more important for us to believe what we believe and let it shine, let it out and be bold. And don't be, don't be reticent to tell somebody who you are and what you believe in a loving, kind way. Yes? So anyway... We talked about that last week. We really went to Hosea 4 uh, last week, 4, 1 through 6. Israel went, went through some really hard places because they forsook God. Really, the first people that forsook God were, were their leaders. And when the leaders forsake God, when the church leaders don't preach the word as they should, how many know it affects all of us? It affects our entire culture. So we spent the entire time last week talking about that in detail. I, I want to, again, make the diversion today. And uh, talk about the importance of prayer during this season of time just prior to Jesus coming back. It does seem as though we are living in the time just prior to Jesus' return. My podcasts, uh, you can go to mitchhorton.com 
Uh, I write a blog most every day. I didn't uh, Thursday, Friday because I was out of town, but generally Monday through Friday, then podcast Tuesdays and Thursdays. And I'll record another one tomorrow for Tuesday. But on the pot in the podcast, I'm trying to break some things down about uh, how to deal with the uh, time that is coming up. We're we're in a transition time worldwide, uh, going into it really a time that Bible speaks in Hebrews six about eternal judgment. Now that sounds looming and foreboding, but that really is what the time just prior to Jesus coming back is all about. He's judging his enemies and anything attached to his enemies, it'll have the smell of smoke on it. So what we want to do and what God's God's doing in the church today is cleaning us up. Everything that can be shaken will be shaken. If you got things that are shaken in your life, you know, I'm not talking about the Elvis Presley song, a whole lot of shaking going on. I'm talking about shaking on the inside. I mean, he's shaking and rattling and rolling us big time. And, uh, you know, so if you're feeling a little unusual about things you've allowed in your life for years, uh, understand it's the Spirit of God working in you. And if you have things that you've had in your life that you know aren't right and you're not shaking, then that is not a great sign. You need to fall on your face and say, God Almighty, what am I doing and what have I done? Why are you not dealing with me? A sign that you're a child of God is that he moves and deals with you. Yes or no? Whom the Lord loves, he chastens and scourges, spanks every son whom he receives. Hebrews 12, right? That's a strange word for Sunday morning, isn't it? But that's, you know, that's honest. I've got a lot of spankings from the Lord. And, uh, you know, you like those kind of spankings because you go back and say, thank you, Lord. I needed that. I've gone back to my mom and dad. My, my dad went to be with Jesus. Uh, wow, what's today? Yeah, yeah, yesterday, 10 years ago. Yesterday, 10 years ago. He whipped my tail. I'd get so mad at him. But you know, when I got older, I'd come back and say, Daddy, uh, I appreciate that rod of correction that you applied to my seat of learning. Uh, it helped me. Thank you. Because if he hadn't, I'd have went astray and messed up. I mean, hear me. I like to mess up even though he did apply the rod. And the problem today, we don't have enough rods. Huh? Your child, if you got a child, that child should be more than your friend. That child should be submitted to your loving hand of authority. And if you're never telling your child can't do that, got to do that, don't do that, never correcting because you just want them to love you, you're up. You're, you're, messing, you're messing with their future and ruining them. And that's the problem in America today. Anyway, that's another subject for another time. And prayer, prayer. Prayer's a challenge. I mentioned this to the men, and this is the pivot point. I mentioned to the men, most, most believers, believe it or not, have a, a very minuscule prayer life. Most people find it extremely difficult to pray, so I can't even go there. If you come on Saturdays, I usually talk about some element of praying before we actually do pray on Saturdays. But, you know, you've got to develop your prayer life. And how many know prayer prayer is actually hard work? It's not easy because you're talking to a person you can't see, and you can't see any, 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 uh, you know, uh, facial expression, tone of voice, uh, body language from them, That's uh, we get over 60% of, of information in communication, not just with words, but with 
the visage of the person. That's why if you're communicating with email or you're talking to someone on the phone or you're texting, which is all that's popular now, instead of being in person, you got to go overboard to show emotion and to show how you feel. Just a terse three, three words doesn't do it if you want to communicate well, right? And so with God, you can't see him, you can't feel him most of the time. Uh, we only know what we know about him from this book right here called the Bible. He revealed himself in his word. The more you get to know the word, the more you get to know God. And then when you fall in love with the word, you also fall in love with the Holy Spirit, the spirit of truth, and he comes alive inside of you. And every once in a while, the the clouds will part and you'll feel the presence of God, but not all the time because he doesn't want you to be attached to feelings. And prayer is not about feelings. Prayer is 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 communication with God. And really prayer... Prayer is, somebody said, joining forces with God. And prayer is carrying out his will upon the earth. Now, see, when I say that, that's a little blind. What do you mean carrying out his will? Isn't God's will being done everywhere? No. No. Now, I was raised in church. I told the guys this weekend, you know, I went, I went to church three times a week. And if we had a, a guest preacher, they call it, uh, in town, then, uh, you know, he would stay at somebody's house and then he'd go eat fried chicken at everybody's house. Well, at least five people because he, he was there five nights and every once in a while he'd come to our house, mama cooked fried chicken. We had fried chicken, mashed potatoes, green beans, and a roll. And uh, here's the big preacher, you know, and he got big usually. I'm joking. I shouldn't say that. Forgive me, Lord. <laughs> I personally don't eat fried chicken. Sorry. I know you like bow time, but I don't do bow time. If you give me a piece of that, I'll take all that skin mess off and just eat the the meat. And then it's got the grease in it, so what do you do with that? Anyway, that's not my subject. I'm just saying I went to church all my life. I'm going to slow. Can I slow down today? If I don't get through, I'm okay. I just want to go a little bit slower, but... um, So I was raised, and and then, you know, again, revivals. Sometimes I went six nights a week to church if we had that revival time stuff, you know. And, and let me just say, when I came to Jesus age 18, I had a, a closet in my head full of sacred cows. And they mooed at me all the time. And they told me what I ought to be and what God is. And a lot of what they were mooing wasn't correct. And one of them was my prayer time. Uh, at church, we prayed, Our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. Forgive our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever. Amen. Every Sunday. That's why I can say it so fast. <laughs> we did it every Sunday. And I got a star on my head in Sunday school for quoting it. Right there. A little gold star as a kid. So, you know, uh, you have to unlearn a lot of that. Prayer is more than just spouting, spouting things you've learned and memorized. Prayer is learning to communicate with God from your heart. You start with the word. Don't misunderstand me. And I actually say, God, let me remind you of, let me remind me of what you said in your word. That's how I often start my prayer life. But I had to unlearn a lot of things. And one of the things as a kid uh, that I had to earn learn, and this is common worldwide. It's estimated 2 billion believers worldwide. 
a common ideology worldwide is that God is in control. You hear it constantly. God is in control. Uh, somebody years and years ago I was listening to one time, this is in the, uh, he said it was in the 60s, a commentator said, a person said as they were interviewing this guy, well, God is in control. And the, comment, and, and the person interviewing the person said, well, if he's in control, he sure got things in a mess. So you use that little adage, God is in control. God is in control. And people are being slaughtered. There's war in Ukraine. Gas prices. Do you think God wants you to pay a lot for gas? I don't think so. Huh? We had to go to five or six places to find chicken to feed these men this weekend. Is that God's plan? Uh-uh. So is God in control? God is in control. And see, see when, you, when you say anything opposite of that, it's almost like it's a slur. Like you shouldn't ever say God is not in control. Because if you say that, that's a slap in God's face. And that's, man, you should never do that. That's a huge ideology in the world. And you know what that does? I think it's a tool of the devil to keep people from praying. Because if you think God is in control and maneuvering without you praying... Huh? If you think he's doing everything without you praying, you won't pray. Seems like to me the devil would want you not to pray. Sun Tzu. Everybody say Sun Tzu. You remember how to spell that, Bo? 500 BC is Chinese warrior. It's free. It's actually a free download on the internet now. But uh, he had a book called The Art of War. And it's a really cool book to read, actually. And he's got three premises if you want to be successful in battle. Number one, if you, if you know yourself but don't know your enemy, you'll be defeated. And then the second one was, if you don't know yourself but know your enemy, you'll be defeated. Third premise is, if you know yourself and your enemy, you'll win every battle and you'll gain the victory. So do you know your enemy? This dude connives and contorts truth. Hath God said? Has God said? He came to Eve. Has God said? You'll die? You'll not surely die. You'll be like God. Eat it. Eat the fruit God said not to. Go ahead. You won't die. God lied to you. Then she said, I sure am hungry, and that sure is pretty. And she took the bite, and here we are. See, deception. My premise today is deception to say, carte blanche, God is in control. Okay, is it blasphemous for me to say, no, he's not? Hmm? Some people think so. Universally, God transcends. To say something transcends something means uh, it lives outside of. So God lives outside of the created universe. That is, he's not subject to its laws and his rules he lives outside of it. You get it? 
That means he's bigger than the universe. We sang a song when I was a little boy in the Baptist church. He's got the whole world in his hands. You know the song. It's true. You know, go read Isaiah 40. The nations are a drop in the bucket. They're like dust in his hand. So he's an awesome person. But right now, is God in control? See, I can't go fast. I have to let this settle into you. No. No, he's only in control if you allow his control. Romans 8, 28, and we know that God causes everything to work together for the good of those who love God and are called according to his purpose. I mentioned this to the men this weekend. Well, that verse, every, every word of that verse is completely true that God causes everything to work together for the good of those who love God. But you see, you've got to challenge that. Do you know people who say they know the Lord, maybe that know you and know the Lord friends, and some really nasty things have happened to them? Huh? Calamity, disaster, destructions, and I'm being, you know, obviously generic because you could fill in the blanks with so many different things. I've had friends of mine who knew the Lord that died in car accidents. Have you? I've had people that I knew died in plane crashes. And they were doing God's work. I know people who knew the Lord who got men, women who got raped. I've talked to people who knew the Lord who were abused as children. Is that God's will? Huh? My first job in ministry. I, I really, I have to slow down. I can't go where I thought I was going to go today. My first job in ministry was counseling for the pastor of a very large church in Tulsa, Oklahoma. I, you know, what astounded me, I was 25 years old when I started doing that. Most everybody I talked to was a lot older than me. But you know, God's word will give you wisdom. Let no man despise your youth. I look them in the eyes, they talk to me. And you know, people told me some terrible stories. Stories of neglect. Stories of abuse. Stories that brought shame. Stories of hurt. Stories of just such intense pain. Uh, personal failures. Families that were so dysfunctional. And I'd sit there thinking, my God, how could anybody ever treat somebody like that? And then obviously the next part is, God, how could you allow that? And we just say, Lord, you're good, you're good. If you is good, why didn't you intervene there? I had one guy tell me, this was 1986. Told me his parents locked him in a trunk. You know, a big trunk for hours at a time. He was warped. I've had other people sit in front of me and tell me that a pastor abused them for years sexually. It gets quiet, don't it? 
I've had people in tears tell me what it felt like to lay mama down in a grave in their early years were raised without a mama and daddy didn't do it right when he raised them. You hear me? If God's in charge, why does that happen? If all things work together for good to those who love God, and some of these people love God, huh? How come? You got all of these religious phrases we use. Yes or no? And the religious phrases, I think, are a tool of the devil to keep us from doing what we ought to do. We're in a war. We're in a battle. Yes or no? Wow. Hmm. Sometimes in a war, there are casualties. Sometimes there's friendly fire, huh? And then sometimes, you know, I just heard somebody this past week, I was listening to a podcast, guy said, you know, in war, the people that die the most in war are not the soldiers, it's all the after effects of the war. You take out the electricity and then infectious diseases take hold because they have nowhere to, to put their body fluids and stuff. And then it intermingles with their drinking water and they die. All kinds of plagues and they die of starvation, die of lack of water, et cetera, et cetera. You hear me? There's a lot of casualties in war. We're in a war. How many know we're in a war? The Bible's full of fact. New Testament's full of the fact we're in a war. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand in the evil day and having done all to stand. But instead, believers have thrown a blanket around them, forgot their armor, thrown a little blanket around, sit down in the chair, get me some sweet tea. All things work together for good to them that love God. I ain't got to pray. God's got this thing. Friend, you're looking for problems if you're not praying. Is it registering yet? So there's another question. How much are you praying about your life? Question, do you pray about, uh, do you pray about your children? I'm not talking about one time. Well, I commended them to the Lord years ago. Well, you know what? How about tomorrow? How about today? Huh? You praying for your spouse? You asking God to watch over your family and protect them? Are you asking God to sustain and make a way for you? Are you praying about your future? I pray about the future right now. I ain't praying about next year. Next year, you pray about next year right now. I learned years ago, I went, I've spent over a year's time in days in other nations. And I learned real quick, don't pray on the fly. Pray before you fly. Pray before you go. If I'm preaching, I don't pray five minutes before I preach. I'm praying last week, last month. Get it? That's how you do it. Because if you do that, then your prayers precede you. And then God makes a way for you. And amazing things happen. If you're praying every day, you're greasing the wheels of life. 
And you're allowing God to bring his blessing into a cursed, dark world. Yes or no? Y'all here? Now you can go to my notes at victorychurchraleigh.com. I don't know how far I'm going to get today, but we're going to make a good run at it. But you can go there and see my notes. I've got five points about this. The first one is Romans 8, 28 is taken out of context unless it's seen in the light of the verses right prior to it. Listen to this, Romans 8. Listen to verse 19. For all creation is waiting eagerly for that future day when God will reveal who his children really are. Against its will, all of creation was subjected to God's curse, but with eager hope, the creation looks forward to the day when it will join God's children in glorious freedom from death and decay. For we know that all the creation has been groaning as it is in pain, the pains of childbirth, right? Right up until this present time. And we believers also groan, even though we have the Holy Spirit within us as a foretaste of future glory. For we long for our bodies to be released from sin and suffering. We're going to get new bodies one day. You excited about that? I mean, I've pushed this one hard. I keep telling you, you better keep up with me. I'm going to run off and leave you one day. And then you're going to be replaced by a new body that'll be able to instantly disappear, instantly reappear wherever in the universe God tells me to go. I can go through walls and windows without opening them. I say, come on, Jesus, I'm ready for that body. That's what he's talking about. We too wait with eager hope for the day God will give us our full rights as adopted children, including new bodies he's promised us. We, are, we were given this hope when we were saved, if we already have something, we don't need to hope for it. But we look forward to something we don't yet have. We must patiently wait, patiently and confidently. And he said all that. Then, then he says, just before all things work together for good, then he says, uh, likewise the Spirit. So in the same way, creation struggles, waiting to be free from the weight and chains and darkness that came when Adam and Eve sinned. The same way. The same way, and we struggle with it. Likewise, the Spirit helps our weakness. There's weakness in creation. It's bound by the effects of sin. Likewise, in the same manner, the Spirit helps our weakness. What is our weakness? For we do not know what we should pray for as we ought, but the Spirit himself makes intercession for us with groanings which cannot be uttered. Now, verse 27, he who searches the hearts knows what the mind or will of the Spirit is because he makes intercession for the saints according to the will of God, and we know that all things work together for good. Why did he say, and we know? And a conjunction. It adds what he's about to say to what he said before. If you, t- you take this out of context, if you don't read what he said before, why do all things work together for good for those who love God? It's because they were praying and asking him to. It's because they were praying for the kingdom to come, for the will to be done, for the will of God to be done in their life, in their circumstance, in their world, in their church, in their family, in their children, in their job, in their finances, in their relationships, in their marriage, in their future, in their nation, in the world. That's a whole lot saying it. Well, I ain't got nothing to pray about. Well, you ain't alive. Or the devil has sold you a bill of goods. Yeah. You ain't got to pray. God got this thing sewed up. Sit down and drink your sweet tea. Take your armor off. You don't need that armor. You ain't in the battle. Rest. God told you to rest. Hey, Hebrews 4 said, there is a rest for the people of God. You don't need to strive and pray. You need to rest and relax. 
while he's cutting your legs out from under you, while he's stealing your children, while he's stealing your nation, while he's robbing you of the freedoms that you think you have and they're permanent and one day they're taken away. What happened? Oh, he forgot to pray. Now, you know, I've been in ministry since 1981. Can I get real? It's amazing to me how many people suddenly become so spiritual when they have a problem. Until then, I don't need that stuff. Leave me alone. I want to drink. I want to have sex. I want to do crack. I want to look at porn. I want to party till the cows come home. <laughs> I just want to have a good time. <laughs> Ain't got one life to live. I'm going to live it up, boys. I'm going to live it up. I'm going to have a good time. And, and just before I die, Jesus, forgive me. Have mercy on my soul. Yeah. Uh, deathbed conversions are rare. And emergency conversions usually don't last. Did you hear what I just said? So you're desperate. Well, I got to come to the Lord today. I'd run out of, I'd run out of what I need now. I better go to God. Well, you know, he will accept you. The problem is that ain't real for you unless you really repent and see the waywardness of your choices. You know, the prodigal son in Luke, I, I won't get to this. You know, the prodigal son in Luke 15? Prodigal, that means he was a wayward son. We don't use the word prodigal, so when you say that, people that don't go to church even know what you're talking about. Here's a son who had a very wealthy father, he went to his father and said, I want my portion of the inheritance right now, right now. I don't want to wait. And his father said, it would probably be better for you to wait because you're going to need it after I'm gone because I'm not going to be feeding you like I am right now. And you're not going to be wearing that nice fur coat you got. You're not going to be driving those nice fine wheels you got right now. You're going to be on your own. You're going to have to buy your own horse and your own stuff. And you're going to have to go find your own clothes. He said, no, I want it now. Well, if you press the issue, okay, he gave it to him. That dude threw everything God, that his father gave him away. And you know where he ended up? Have you ever seen a pig pen? Do you know how nasty, you like pork? You know how nasty pork pigs are? Them dudes are some nasty, skanky boys. I used to crop tobacco. You ever done that? It's a nasty job. I want you to know that's a noxious weed, that tobacco stuff. It's got this black tar. I used to, I used to, I used to uh, crop it so much, my hands turned black. Now, I wouldn't advise you doing this. The only way I could get that off, I put borax soap and bleach on my hands. It's a wonder it didn't peel all the skin off. That's the only way I could get it. But, but, but a pig pen right beside, the, right beside the farm. And those pigs would eat anything you threw in there. We, we found a big old rattlesnake one day. Chopped his head off and threw him in the pig pen. Before he hit the ground, those pigs, they tore him up and ate him. 
So think about that next time you're eating some barbecue. <laughs> I know. Yeah. I'm sorry, y'all. It just comes out. <laughs> Woo. My grandmama, when I was a little boy, see, I, I had a, a, low, a low idea about pigs because I'm five years old. I'm outside play, playing in my grandma's backyard. I say, Mama, what's that bucket up there sitting up there on the wall? It's hanging on this big old nail. And it's a, it's a you know what a foot tub is? A foot tub's about that big around, about that tall, and people, I guess, would wash their feet in them. Well, she had one hanging up on a hook. I got me something to stand on. I got me a little ladder and went up there and looked, and my father in heaven, the smell I never smelled before in my life. Woo, what is that? And you know what she said? Well, Mitch, everything you don't eat that's on your plate, it goes in that, we call it slop. I said, it smells like slop. I said, what do you do with it? She says, we got, a, we got a farmer in the area. He comes around. He's got a big old truck. And he's got a big old vat in the truck. And he pours that slop in that truck. I said, what do you do with it? He said, he feeds it to the pigs. Prodigal son. He's hanging with the pigs. He's eating with the pigs. And he said, you know, I'm tired of pig food. I'm tired of slop. I'm tired of the corn husk that feed the pigs that aren't fit for human consumption. I'm going to go back to my father. And I'm going to ask him just to let me be a hired hand. Let me be a slave. He went back to his father's house. His father thought his son had died because he hadn't heard from him in so long. He saw something coming down the road. Come on, Become a horse, maybe. He said, whoa, whoa. Seems like I've seen that face before. That's a long, scraggly piece of hair he's got on his head and his beard. That thing ain't been shaved in a long time. Who is that? He said, who are you? He said, I'm your son. Father said, what? I thought my son was dead. He said, no. Been living with the pigs, daddy. Will you hire me? Will you let me work? Will you give me some food? Will you let me eat? Will you let me sleep? in the tent with your hired hands. After his daddy cried for a while, he said, son, come here. Come here. He hugged him. Gave him a bath. Put a new ring on his finger. Gave him a new set of clothes. And he said, my son that was lost is now found. And such were some of us If you've got to wait till the pig pen of life finds you. My daddy said, you're going to have a hard row to hoe. Don't wait till calamity comes to meet God. Meet him now. How many hear me? I ran plumb out of time here. If I don't pray, things may not work out well and I might find myself in the proverbial pig pen of life. A lot of people find themselves there. You know, there's a lot of people angry at God because the pig pen caught up with them. Yes or no? 
A lot of kids bear the brunt of mama and daddy living in life's pig pen. All things work together for good to them that love God. Really? Only if you're praying. Six times, and I'll have to conclude right here. Six times in my life, the enemy's tried to kill me. First time I was 15, 1973, I was 15. I lost my eyesight smoking pot in the bathroom at McClendon High School, 11th grade. I thought, and I saw myself dead on a gurney. I thought that day I'm going straight to hell. You know, it's going to be hard going to heaven when you don't value heavenly things. A lot of people have the wrong idea. I am just going all over the place today. A lot of people have the wrong idea. Well, I accepted Jesus when I was six years old and you live like the devil the rest of your life and suddenly God says, well done, good and faithful servant. Enter into the joy of your Lord. Hey, open those pearlies for this boy. He's been, he's been having sex with everybody but his wife. He's been drinking and been on the drunk and spent all his money and hasn't been responsible, but well done, come on in. It doesn't work that way. Welcome to the American gospel. Now, there's a lot of churches right then, pastor comes up and says, you are dismissed. I'm guessing but you are dismissed. Once saved, I'm always saved. I don't care how I live, find me that in the Bible. That's not good English, but you get it. Mm-mm. <laughs> No, I say if you raised your hand, accepted Jesus as Savior, no, no, no. You fall on your face and you give your heart to him. And he grabs hold the reins of your will. And you just can't go and do what you want to do and partay down and think those pearlies are going to open up one day. won't happen, my friends. I've preached 80 funerals. Not one time. Have I ever preached a man into heaven? Never. Well, what do you do? Well, I don't talk about where he went. First funeral I did, I even remember the man's name, Stanley Oliver. He was 76 years old. I was the low man on the totem pole at the church I worked at. So I got to do the funeral of a guy who didn't go to church because the funeral home called and said, we need a pastor to come and put inter this man. They said, well, we got somebody, Mitch Horton, you the man. I said, my God, I've never done a funeral in my life. I don't know why. Well, you're going to do this one. Well, thank you. Interviewed the family. I said, what church y'all go to? We don't go to church. Well, what church Stanley goes to? He don't go to church. Stanley never read the Bible. I was thinking, good God, Jesus, help me right now. Father God, I don't know what I'm going to do. And then the family told me, said, every Sunday he's on the creek, he, he, he's at the pond fishing. He's at the lake fishing. He's a good fisherman. But he can go to church. So I did his funeral. I didn't say one word about where he went. You hear me? I just talked about heaven. Heaven's a great place. You can go there if you want to. But you got to get it right to go. You got to make Jesus Lord. Got to be saved, really, really saved. Not just pseudo saved, really saved. Save from what? Save from you. Save from mess. Save from junk. Save from your sin. Yeah. And if you are, you change how you live. 
You clean up your mouth. You clean up where you go. You clean up your head, your brain, and you dress your body right. And don't show it to everybody. A lot of saved people today, you know, uh, gosh, I'm wandering around so bad. Oh, you know, there was, a, there was a man that Jesus found. He was a, sadomach, a, a sadomasochist. He got his sexual pleasure from cutting himself. Pain. And the Bible says he's running around naked. And obviously, he was full of devils, demons. You know what I found out in American culture? Oh, we don't have devils and demons. But see, they do the same thing everywhere. If you got devils and demons, you don't clothe yourself right. And you, you show body stuff that you shouldn't be showing. And you entice the opposite sex. And that's all over America today. Well, Susie's doing it. Jenny's doing it. Or do they know God? Well, they said they did. You hear what I'm saying? How did I wander off in this? Enemies tried to kill me six times. First time, 1973. Second time, 1975. July 20th, had a car wreck. It could have took me out. And I actually came from church. Uh, uh, third time, 1984, car wreck. Fell down a 20-foot ravine. My car should have fallen down the ravine. God spared me because somebody prayed. I had a somebody praying the first two times before I met the Lord. Call my mama. If you got a praying mama, you, you're, a, you're a blessed person. Amen. 1995, August, had another car wreck coming from a prayer meeting. See, all th things work together for good only if somebody's praying. Now, the enemy tried to take me out then, but, but my daddy, my Southern Baptist daddy prayed for me all day on Monday. I had the car accident on Tuesday, and then God woke me up every hour on the hour, one, two, three, four, and got up at five to be at a prayer meeting at six, and I prayed, and somehow I didn't die in 1995, and here I be. 2004, my appendix burst mid-flight on the way to India. And my wonderful sweet mama, who's now 87 years young, praying for you today. Hey, mom. She prayed for me and I didn't die. And I heard the voice of God tell me to do something. I did that something and it spared my life. I had, I had sepsis in my intestines because my appendix burst. I was in the hospital for nine days. 2008, I mean, Congo on me. I'm doing the Lord. I'm doing the Lord's work. I'm doing the Lord's work. And the tank just about flattened me like a pancake. And at the same time, somebody was praying for me in this church. I'm forever indebted to them. Why am I saying all that? Because we're in a war, we're in a conflict, and the devil wants to cut your lights out. That means he wants you to die a nasty death. And he wants your children to be in bondage to all kinds of things. And he wants you to not give a hoot about God or Jesus or the Bible or spiritual realities or the future. He wants you to live for the good old hip hop hooray now. He wants you to go to hell. When we come back next time, I'll talk about the hierarchy that set all this up. It was Adam and Eve. 
They gave their relationship with God away. The first man was Adam. His wife was Eve. She came from his side. We didn't evolve from lower creatures. We were created by the hand of God. When they gave the farm away, well, when they gave the heart away, they gave the farm away. See, they gave the heart away when Eve said, yep, I'm gonna eat that stuff. She ate the fruit. Adam said, Eve, what'd you do? My God, you... She said, I'm naked. She, she said, I'm naked, Adam. Don't come near me. I'm hiding behind the bush. Don't come. How do you know you're naked? I didn't know you were naked. You're naked? Let me see. She said, no. Who told you you was naked? And she said, I know this is weird, right? I promise I have never thought I was going to say this. She said, how do you know you're He said, how do you know you're naked? She said, well, I eat that, that fruit. He said, you didn't do it. Yeah, I did. That guy over there said, it's all right. He said, I'm going to be like God. And you know what? Whew, I know a lot that I didn't know before. First thing I found out, I'm naked. <laughs> Look, I'm hiding behind the bush. And he looked at her and looked at the fruit and thought about the future and chose her over God. Women, how about be careful? Watch how you bat your eyes at that man. Unless he's your husband. Right? Second thing that happened. They gave the farm away. They gave the garden away. God gave them authority over the earth to dress and keep it. And when I come back next time, we'll talk about what that produced and the reason you need to pray. Bottom line, I just encourage you to stoke your prayer life. Maybe you don't know how to pray. Well, what did you do when you didn't know how to talk? Maybe the first word is, Dada. Mama. Right? One-syllable words, two-syllable words, three-syllable words, sentences. I don't care if you have to stumble into the prayer closet. Say, God, I don't know how to pray. Spit it out wrong. Say, God, here I is. And I don't even know English well, but you know what? I want to know you, and I don't know how to pray. The only thing I'd say is, Father, in the name of Jesus, that's how Jesus told us to pray. Jesus is the person that is an attorney, in fact, that brings us before God the Father and cleanses our sin and gives us an ability to relate to a God that, is, that transcends the universe. So when you go, you just say, Father, in the name of Jesus. And be like a child. Be like a child. Everybody okay? What does a child do? Mommy, I cut my finger. I got a boo-boo. Can you help me? And Band-Aids are cure-alls for my, my grandkids. Well, mommy, I need, I'm hungry. Can I have an apple? Mommy, 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 daddy, daddy, mommy. I need, I need, I need, I need, I need, I need. When you first come to Jesus, start there. God, I got problems. I have a need. Here's the problem right here. And I did all that myself. Help me, right? When you first come to the Lord, that's how you start praying. Just call out and cry out about stuff you need. And you know what? God, your Father will hear you. But don't think, Kesara Sarah, whatever will be, will be. God is ultimately in charge. Oh, 
Oh, he is in charge of the universe, but he gave the earth to man for a period of time. And we'll talk about that next time. <laughs>